Oh, look at that, Jeff. That's a three check. Oh, man. I'd like to see you make that one. Oh. What? Oh. Oh. I don't oh, believe it. Oh, man. My luck is changing. I'm doing great tonight. Ah. Three man, check. Roll like that. I have to go to the bathroom. Excuse me for a minute. All right. I'll be here when you get back. All right. Well, I usually don't do this, but I'm really losing here. I'm going to just take a couple of counters off the board of Jeff's pieces. He's never going to know. Uh, Charlie? Sorry, sorry, Charlie. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll put him back. Well-trained dog. Welcome to the Two Half Squads, everyone. Only podcast in the world that's dedicated 100% to the greatest game in the world, Advanced Squad Leader. I'm your host, Jeff. And I'm Dave. And I'm Joe. Joe's with us today. And this episode is brought to you by the C4 Corner Cutter and listener donations. Thanks, everybody, for your donations. Well, here we are. What episode? Episode 16. 16. 16. It's and March tw- uh, 15th. Dave is the official keeper of the calendar. You do a great job with that. And it's coming up on St. Patty's Day. Hey. Hey. I'm uh, looking forward to that. Got any big plans? Shouldn't we make a Lucky Charms joke or yeah. something? <laughs> I was trying to Some think of one. seasonal joke? <laughs> we should. No plans for Patty's Day. That was a good... Uh, episode 15 was a good one. That was fun. We had a little uh, interview with Keith Dalton. We did not know at the time we were recording that that he was going to be all echoey sounding. Uh, it sounded like he was receding further and further into a As garbage can sewer or something. <laughs> As the interview yeah. went on. Yeah, I don't know what, I just... That's, Keith, that's Keith, a, Keith, Keith. Yeah, part of the technology I don't really understand. Maybe just break it halfway and call again and reestablish a connection. I, I guess, I don't, I don't know. know. That's I don't odd know. that it didn't, didn't sound bad to you guys. Not no, it sounded, that bad, perf- no. it sounded perfect yeah, to me. Better than the last show. But I had had a couple of root beers by then, so... But it was a good show. And uh, we got some listener mail about that show. And other shows. And other shows. Since I don't know which letter we're doing first. Just keeps rolling in. Well, I have one. Uh, hey, guys from Texas. Y'all are great, and I look forward to each episode. I hope you can come to the Texas ASL Team Tournament in Austin this year. Sorry if I'm butchering your accent, Mark. Um, glad your shirts are available. Is that an accent? You were doing an accent there? Oh, yeah, it was okay. my okay. southern. Oh, yeah, that was very good. Excellent. Glad your shirts are available. Can I snag one? Can I snag one? Oh, that's good. Need an XL, please. Oh, shouldn't have given his size out. Sorry, Mark. <laughs> a medium. Need a medium, please. Just following the instructions, which I noted are not in the legalese we all enjoy deciphering into bullet form. <laughs> now, that was good. Yeah, I like that. You know, how we all break down the rules into bullet form. Um, Why don't they just print the rules in bullet I, form? The more I read all these charts and everything. much easier to learn. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, amazing. Uh, but I was able to understand anyway to ask for the size before clicking the button. Correct. If you're going to order a shirt, please email us first and make sure we got your size in. In fact, Jeff has a list of um, how, what sizes of shirts we have left. Oh, I do, yes. There are uh, 
4 medium, 11 large, 3 extra large, and 8 double extra large as of March yeah. 14th. So we're getting low on those 15th. XLs. So if you were delaying your purchase, you may want to get moving on that. Um, yeah, these things are flying out the door. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't sell as many as we hoped, but... Uh, I'm sure we'll sell a lot at the ASL Open. I would think so. Yeah. I don't think we're going to lose our shirts on it anyway. Oh, dun, dun, dun. <laughs> that was worthy of you, Jeff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, let me know and tanks, said Mark Carter. Oh, I like that. Yeah, I thought you would. Uh, and then... Um, when are we doing tanks too, by the way? Well, it pr- probably should be next, should I guess. Should be soon, yeah. Yeah, probably well, next. Well, unless we interview Lars... Yeah, we got a lot. We got a lot on the plate. Agenda. On the yes. plate, on the yeah, hot a lot plate. To do. Um, and then he says, "Done. You should have it now." Making the donation. Once I said we do have a, shirt, a size for him. Uh, I just want one shirt. You guys keep the change and have a few beers on me, but don't spend it on Schlitz. <laughs> <laughs> Try Shinerbach. And I meant to go buy that tonight, and I it wasn't at the Jewel, so I'll have to go to a real store to get that. When you are in Texas, we can get you some good microbrewery ales. Thanks for sharing all the fun you guys have. So, Texas ASL Team Tournament, can we bookmark that? Or yeah, absolutely. link we'll that up the, for yep. you? Uh, when is that, Team Tournament? Uh, he doesn't have the dates on this. Oh, okay. But uh, you have some, I'll look it up while you go to the next letter. Okay. Got one here from uh, Mike. Arriving this very day in my Colorado Springs mailbox was an extremely classy two half squads t-shirt. Oh. My next ASL opponent will see me proudly wearing this item across the table from him. I will, however, wear pants too. <laughs> <laughs> Wonder why? Think, we don't. We never do. I think that was directed at you. It really improves my game. Uh, by the way, just another word for the cover art discussion. I'll kick in another 50 bucks if you include it in podcast 16. Wow. Yeah. Actually, I plan to do that anyway. But if you get any complaints, tell the complainant that he's got to top 50 bucks in order to prevent the discussion from happening. Keep up the great work, guys. It's a lot of fun to listen to, just as it is. So that's nice, Dave. You must feel good about that. Yeah, actually, we got. Uh, I actually do. A couple and people like that. That we could get some cash for not even selling t shirts yeah. is an even better deal yeah. to help yeah. cover those if we don't sell them. Um, I found the. 2009 Texas ASL Team Tournament. We it looked, we should go. Um, it's not too early to start planning. Tournament information has been updated with what I know currently, and we're updating all the time. The links for pre-registration are active, so if you feel the desire, get yourself signed up now. Um, here are some registered attendees for this year. What cool dudes. Gary Fortenberry. You know Gary? No. He ran the um, A-Slug, uh, Advanced Squad Leader Union of Gamers, uh, newsletter had excellent scenarios in it, many of which made the journal or annual. Gary also ran the annual for a while for Avalon Hill. Hmm. And he had to kind of fall out of gaming for a while. Um, looks like he's back. It'd be neat to meet him. I, I did see him actually play at my first ASL. What's the one in Ohio? Oh. Uh, Something common? Aslock? Aslock, yes. Aslock. Um, I always thought that would one would be in Oklahoma. I don't know why. Yeah, yeah you'd think so, yeah. wouldn't you? That threw me. I can play the Oklahoma State song. <laughs> no, please. <laughs> I unplugged your organ. Yeah, I heard you warming up as I came, came, oh, came downstairs. Oh, you guys did? Today. Yeah. All right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, Mark Carter, Sam Tyson, Jerry Simmons, Rick Zeb Doyle, John Heiler, Rob Burton, all going to attend. And it doesn't have the dates on it. It says click here. 
And you can always, of course, Google Texas ASL Team Tournament, and you'll come up with all this information. It's going to be uh, 17th Annual, June 25th through 28th, 2009. Plan to attend, folks. Well, I might do that. June 25th is my mom's birthday, so maybe I'll go just uh, for my mom's birthday. I'll be out of school. She lives in Florida, but... <laughs> That's a good excuse. <laughs> How are so, you? I don't know. Sorry, Mom. <laughs> I, I took the wrong... To to... Yeah, I took the wrong flight. Uh, Joe, you... Yeah, yeah I, got a, I got a real short one here. Hi, great podcast. Keep up the good work. Regarding the artwork discussion in this episode, or I guess last episode, 15? Yeah. Yes, 15. Some ASL-related artwork can be found here, and he gives a link, which uh, we're going to post on the website yeah. after the show. I don't recognize them as box covers, but I think some of the paintings have been used for ASL journal covers. Seems like they have prints available for purchase, too. So if you are interested in getting a print of the ASL, of the ASL art, it is available. That second link, I think, there were two, right? Yeah, there's... No, there's just one. Just link. The, the other one, one's the the two hat squads. It right. had some. I know I did go to it when that letter came in. It was actually after episode fourteen. When I neglected to get to it on fifteen. Oh. Um, that would have buoyed my spirits uh, about the box art, but um, there is work from the uh, journal. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and I've I've heard that some of the artwork is available. At yeah. the Especially from the early journals. Yeah. Okay. Um, I've got a letter here from. Oh, Todd. Todd, another good one, guys. A couple of points. I felt so relaxed listening to your show with the fountain running in the background. I know how excited Dave gets about fountains. You know, it's funny. I didn't hear the fountain. I guess because it's my basement, I get used to that sound. I did. But it is a fountain. In fact, we have a beautiful fountain in our basement. I just forgot. (laughs) I also enjoyed the man behind the green curtain, Keith, Wizard of Oz Dalton interview. He's so forthcoming and is a good representative for MMP. I would have to agree with that. Good acting by your wife and son, Dave. I think their agents are going to be all over you for not giving them proper credits at the end of the show. And we didn't, but we should. You guys did a great job on on that opening. We hardly ever uh, remark about our openings. That's true. For our our show openings. Yeah, you don't. We pretend they don't exist. Yeah, I guess we do. (laughs) (laughs) We We just let them be as they are. So are you going to do that every show now? Is that is that going to be the, the tradition? No, we can't come up with enough ideas. We'll see how long the creative juices flow. Speaking of juices, we've got little juice flowing right now. What are you drinking, Dave? The Shock Top. It's a Belgian white styled wheat ale brewed with spices. Um, and I had this at a pub once and didn't realize it was from the Michelob Brewing Company. It's not quite the Best Belgian white I've ever had, but it's got a very cool artwork on it of the orange slice with the mohawk. Yeah, pretty cool with the sunglasses. And it's always good to have a Belgian white, something light and crisp to celebrate the coming of spring here. Yeah. It's a sad day for us here at uh, the two half squads, though, because our bottle opener, our Three Stooges bottle opener, is busted broken. We, we thought it was broken, Joe. I think it just ran out of battery. You, you've been using it so much on every episode. Yeah. So you just take these screws out and change the battery? Yeah, I hope so. We better get a qualified union electrician. Joe is a genius. I don't want to touch that. Uh, any more letters? I got one here. One's uh, from John B. Hey, Dave and Jeff. I'm an avid listener since episode one, even though I haven't played full-blown ASL. 
I'm a war gamer from the late 70s and played the original Squad Leader and all its modules back when they were first came out and have played Starter Kit 1 with a friend who is relatively new to wargaming. He now has all three Starter Kits, the ASL Rulebook and Beyond Valor, so maybe we will get into the game more often. I listened to episode 15 yesterday and had to take issue with two of the letters you read. I have to say I liked your box art critique segments Yay. in the past and hope you uh, don't let one Debbie Downer, a Saturday Night Live reference here, deter you from future critiques. Wah, wah. Another letter, oops, sorry, another letter, and I can't remember where, the, where in the sequence it was, seems to criticize your easygoing conversational style. I like the rapport between you two and hope you continue that as well. Not all of us listeners are ASL uh, cognizant and appreciate it that even someone with the playing history of Dave can forget a rule or two and not portray himself as an ASL god. That's because I'm stupid. (laughs) Throwing out tidbits of wisdom from Mount Olympus to us lowly noobs. I look forward to your next podcast and keep up the great work. Oh, that's a wonderful letter. Yeah, it's very nice. And there were a couple more praising box art, so we just might see the return of it on this episode. Yeah. I have a letter. Hi, guys. I have to say it sure was difficult waiting 30 days between shows, though I'm sure on your side it comes too quickly. Here's to hoping the show does not ever become an unenjoyable burden. I must say thank you for the time you put in. As you had Rich on last time, I looked up at his nice playing aids. I felt I had to point out a few other ones you could look at and maybe share with your listeners. The first is by W. Kohler. I'm not sure what the W stands for. The rally and morale and the route flow charts are incredible. As a fairly new user, I found them very useful, but I think a more experienced person might look them over once a year and even get something out of them. And then he gives the website, which I've learned not to try and read on the air. Good boy. So we might get that linked, hopefully. This, uh, um, the second site is a 2006 attempt of an AAR podcast by Todd Wiley as an after-action report. It is done in a PowerPoint presentation with a voice dubbed over. I stumbled onto this after listening to your special episodes, and it's really an interesting delivery method. The link is kind of hidden in the first paragraph on the word here. And if you probably search Todd Wiley ASL, you'll come up with this, but we'll try and link it also. And I did watch this one, and it was really quite good. It was a PowerPoint presentation, Mm -hmm. and I would just click and he would show the true placements and then start to narrate and then click again go to the next slide and it would have after turn one and showed the arrows and where the troops went and was was really fun to watch so that's a great great thing a great way to learn the game also and did you look at the the other the first link that he mentioned that had the player aids no i don't think i did okay yeah i think i would have remembered that because i have an old route flow chart that was um done in hand-drawn pencil and stuff like i would have done and i still have it and have used it occasionally but i need to check that one out yeah right and that was from rich salisbury the uh, letter thank you rich is that the one that you whip out every game every once in a while the napkin no (laughs) it's like some old beat up like with the gravy uh, marriott napkin or something No, it's in my binder thingy with the plastic page protectors. Okay, that was great mail. Thanks, thanks everybody. Uh, oh, do we have one more? Hold on. I thought you had one online. <clears throat> you know what time it is now, Dave? What time is it, Joe? Do you know? It's what's in the box. He didn't echo, did he? Do it again. Try it again. What's in the box? Let's that do it one better, more time. Do it again, Joe. You're let's, learning. Let's, He's getting better each him, time. Let's, let's give him a... Brief silence. Okay. So, okay. And take a deep and breath. Go. What's in the box? Okay, it's good enough for 
Hey, it's happening to all of us now. Hey, let us out of here. Hey. We're stuck in the box. What's in the box with us? No, kind of mystical, actually. All right, there we go. Oh, we made it out of the box. What have we got this week? Well, we had a, a listener kindly send us, and I think it may have been the the editor or author, uh, from, of course, everyone, most everyone. Oh, there I am on, on Olympus throwing down my knowledge. <laughs> Several of you listeners have probably heard of Schwerpunkt. And volume 14 has just come out. I assume it's just come out. October 2008. Well, okay. Maybe it came out a little while ago. <laughs> well, we're just getting the copy in our hands. Yeah, we, the mail is very slow here. <laughs> I'm sure they mailed it on right in October. <laughs> it's a form of independent scenario design featuring scenarios from the Tampa ASL group. And I'm not going to look them up. But we will eventually, hopefully, I think we should link these eventually groups and even talk to a lot of the people who run these clubs. When we run out of material... Yeah. Start talking to the club owners and, and see what's going on in these other places. Twelve new scenarios, complete with designer notes and analysis. Now that you don't get with just any old scenario pack. Yeah, that's very well, nice. that's what they're known for. They're known, they're, they're packs. They have the scenarios, and then they have a, a, a lot of designer notes and uh, comments from the, the people who designed the, sh- the scenarios, which I think is a pretty nice, nice touch. Yeah, it's an excellent idea. Um, I had some... some immoral person had xeroxed some copies of some punk stuff and gave it to me and i actually did not play it did you burn it no i think i still have it somewhere in a box but (laughs) in a box but um i am glad to have get this product legitimately and be able to review it for you and it opens up with this magazine type thing that uh, is for Evan Sherry, editor, and he does his intro, an article, The Sword and the Shield, The French Army, 1940-45, to 45, by Brooke White. And I haven't read the article yet. We like to do our what's in the boxes as we open them live on the air. Um, free French. We, I didn't f- get that, that opening oh, part, sound though. Effect. Yeah, where was it? Oh, there it is. It was oh, a so slip it, cover, so, so I didn't have to okay. actually break into it. Yeah. Along with that come the wow, conclusion a, to his there are article. There a lot of words there. Yeah. And then Very into the scenarios. Yeah. And I see a whole bunch of pages of up to 13, 19 of comments for both sides, designer's notes, um, an article staying in the game by Evan Sherry on 23, a little short one. And looks great. I'm really anxious to read through that. I'll probably get Where to that Where do these guys that. find the time for this? That's yeah. what I'd like to are know. Are they all in prison? I think so. Single, oh. not married. You said prison, you scared away, Charlie. Yeah. <laughs> he hates prison. I, I'm always astonished by this. we got to get down there to Tampa and see what's going on. They well, there's a lot of names on these. Even Pete Schelling makes an appearance here again as a Cernero designer on one of hmm. mine. What number do we start with, Jeff? Number one. one no. no the oh, there, punks put out no, a lot of one. scenarios. Okay. What, what number do we have? Three I think you have 158. Okay. I have 157 here. Yep, that's the first, that's right? That's the first one. Edge of Extinction, which is uh, Germans against the Americans. Uh, near Sinnersdorf, Germany, March 4th, 1945. We should play these on the actual dates. Yes. That would be kind Do you know, of once they published in a annual, I used to call it Chronology of War, and they would run all the scenarios in chronological order. Yeah, I, I have it somewhere in my old... I'll dig it out. Maybe read it on the... Well, 
by now it's kind of outdated, but it was cool. Yeah. And my friend Wally always said, this goes way back to you know 80s, 90s, let's play these all in order. We can see the tanks evolving from the yeah, Panzer 1s and 2s up to the you know, Tigers and Stalins. Yeah, there's discussion on game squads every every so often about that same topic. And oh. I think just a few months ago, they were talking about, you know, playing the scenarios through, through the right order. Oh, are you saying we talk about things that have all been talked about before, Joe? Oh no, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Just don't bring up like box a bunch art. of drunk uncles. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a story you've heard before. And, yeah. What was that topic about? Uh, anyway, this scenario, Edge of Extinction, uses Map W. That's kind of interesting. The only map needed is Map W. And uh, Germans against the Americans. Germans have a couple of panzers. And the Americans have are after them with some uh, half-tracks. They got a jeep in here. Uh, very, very basic uh, scenario. But looks like fun. And the other side of it? Uh, the other side is the Fond Daggett Dragout. This is the first time I've looked at this. This is Tenth um, Avenue, Fond Daggett Dragout. Say that ten times fast. Get it, Springsteen? Come on down from Olympus, Mr. <laughs> Springsteen. Mr. Springstein. Uh, this uses four maps, 50, 2, 18, and 3, uh, the British against the Germans, in uh, 1940. Six and a half turns. Just got some, uh, the British have some uh, machine guns. Some, oh, I like the foxholes. Always like the foxholes. And actually, some of these counters I don't even recognize. What's the FCM 36? Oh, that's, is that a French? Yeah, I think that's a French. Uh-huh. A French... Fry? Oh, oh, what, a French bread? <laughs> a, a McMuffin? What is it, croissant? Well, if it? I were to answer you, I'd just that sound French really like not knowing what I'm talking tickler? about. And I don't know is what it? I'm talking about. <laughs> well, if I had my counter tray of vehicles, I could tell you. Hey, at least I knew it was French. You knew it was French. Okay. I mean, and I don't know. You, you knew that by the picture. No, no, I really didn't. I knew the FCM. I actually recognized it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, the FCM, but I don't know okay. if it's a car. It looks like it has a... A, a light machine gun, right? That's it's, the only problem. There's no, there's no uh, graphic image for the because cars. this is not yeah. official product. Correct. Right. What uh, number what are else? we on? What else? Oh. Uh, that was 158. So we go. What do you got, Joe? Okay, I got 159 and 60. So um, 159, the Lysjanka epitaph. It's a early 1944 Russian versus the Germans. Uh, it's kind of your typical heavy metal. Uh, you got a couple Panthers for the Germans. And then the Russians got the uh, T-34 and the KV-85s. Uh, plays on board 49 and 10. And kind of a short scenario, I guess, five, five and a half turns. Looks pretty good. Not, uh, well, I was about to say low counter density until I looked at the Russians. They got uh, 20 squads. Oh, that, that takes some time. But it's yeah. only five turns, right? Five and a half. Five and a half, yes. But... Looks like a lot of fun. I'll go right into the next one. Uh, on the other side, 160, the Lost Band of Edmontons. It's uh, the Canadians versus the Germans. Oh, does it have uh, bagpipes in the band? <laughs> bagpipes in the band. Yeah. I, th I, I think it should, if it doesn't. It's a band. Yeah. From Scottish, Scotland. And maybe they're French. I thought they were Canadian. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hey. It's uh, Sicily. In, uh, oh, wait. Do you know there was a... In a, and I'm not making this up. In a in an annual, there was you know I used to do a comedy kind of section about counters we like to see or something. They had uh, the 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 Soviet tank dog. 
that was trained to attack under tanks. They strapped explosives on. Do you know about this? No. Oh, yeah, yeah. And it would run under the, under the tank and blow itself up. Yeah. They put they strap oh, DCs man. on the thing. I'm glad Charlie's not here. <laughs> Cover his ears. That's why he went upstairs. Yeah. <laughs> and they had an antenna on it, or a trigger. I hear the fountain. Yeah. You turned it on. Yeah. Thanks. It calms me down. You knew I was getting excited about the death dog, yeah. and I got all excited. It's and, a champagne fountain, right, by I'll the way. Calm down. And so the dog would just joyfully be trained to eat under tanks. They always fed them under tanks. When they released them on the battlefield, they would skip happily along to a German tank, hopefully, and go under the tank, triggering the um, DC and blow itself up. But I guess the problem was they went under any tank that was around, and they weren't reliable, and they quit. Yeah, doing it was it. kind of that, that control problem. Yeah. yeah, but they actually had a fake little counter for that in, in the annual, and then they did also the, the piper that he would add to the morale if the bagpiper was playing for the troops and all that kind of stuff. I was wondering where you came from that. Yeah. Okay, and it's, it's uh, seven turns, boards two and 41. Uh, oh, yeah, it, it's got the... Uh, the carrier got to have a carrier there. Uh, the the troop carrier. The ah. the I don't know what to use it for. It's not a big enough to carry any men. Oh, you know, <laughs> and it, it usually has like a light machine gun. And I just played yeah. a scenario for a, a playtest scenario that had a couple of them, and I didn't know what to do with them. They they were <laughs> good send players. Them send them for coffee. <laughs> you know, I'm still reeling. Can we go back? With- a few seconds to sure. a previous episode. This show is never going to be under an hour. I mean, the, you, you got, I, especially with three of us talking, right? I, I'm still, I'm still going back over this. There was an episode when you were talking about the, um, the rule where the British take out time out for tea, and you thought he was serious. That was I a thought joke. you were serious. I was laughing at that. Are you episode. kidding me? You guys were going on about it, and I thought, I and I kept saying, no, that's not, and you kept saying, yes, yes, it's real, and. It, you had me kidding? convinced. I should be taken out. <laughs> Didn't know beaten. that. Yeah. I just found out recently. I tried to unleash that one in a, in a tournament. You did. No. <laughs> it's about as believable as strapping dynamite to dogs. No, no, that's true. Out. You Google it right now. All right. I don't know what they call them. Soviet dynamite dogs or death <laughs> dogs or something. Oh, and I forgot to mention that uh, Evan Sherry is the designer for both of these scenarios. Oh. The Lizjanka Epitaph and Lost Band of Edmontons. And I have 161 with uh, Evan Sherry also. And it's it's interesting here. Is the, some Russians versus Germans in 44. And the Russians win if they have good order. Well, the man counters in at least two of the following hexes. And it lists about seven or eight. So it gives you a lot of you know, options as you're attacking and then to defend. You don't know which ones the Russian's going to go to. Those are often fun. Definitely. Otherwise, some kind of standard forces. You do have some SU-85s, SU-76s in that. And I have 162, which is un- kind of unique. It's Satang Burma in 42. The Japanese win by accumulating more victory points than the British. So I always like to do a Pacific scenario. It's about eight turn. It is eight turns long. And followed up by number 163, first to fast off. South of fast off, USSR. I've been fasting. Have you? Yeah. Oh, well, you look good. Part of Lent. Yeah. Would you like a little something? Oh, no, thanks. Okay. Uh, two boards, 43 and 44, Germans against the Russians, Panzers T- against some T-34s. Let's see. The Russian player wins by scoring 15 victory points. 
Well, that does, it doesn't look doesn't look too difficult actually. No, and without seeing the board and everything too. No. But yeah, no, no, uh, I don't know. Just a good solid uh, pitting of the Germans against the Russians kind of throws me without having all the line art on these and then tanks but no tanks now here's a scenario that i would like is that really called that yeah tanks but no tanks. oh they stole Number that from our show stole your phrase I, I think they did let's this sue is by them. hugh j downing let's let's call him a lot of stuff this one is pretty counter heavy this is um the polish against the let's see polish against the germans this takes place in 1939 so early war yeah, lots of counters. Look at all them counters, guys. That's a oh, lot who, of counters. Who's got time? Yeah. Nobody's got time for that. You do. Play it in two nights. Uh, the Poles win at game end if they have good order, multi-man counters, and at least uh, a couple of these buildings. Tanks, but no tanks. Looks like fun. Mm-hmm. They all look like fun. They all look like fun. Yeah, now, here's a good one. This this is really making me start to uh, take a closer look at Schwerpunk. Uh, it's an early war. 1942, January 42, it's PTO, which I really have a fondness for. And just the name, Blue Jacket Attack. It's a naval battalion, so I guess I'm a little biased here. You're a Navy guy. Yeah, so it's, uh, but wait a minute, it it shows the Navy guys as 447s. What's up with that? Uh, I think that's about right. It's a little low, ain't it? Uh, No, that's about right. We had higher morale. No. (laughs) Not not off the boats, you didn't. All right, wait. Only three of three of them are four four sevens. The other four squads are four five eights. That's more. Like oh, okay. It must be better. the chief petty right. officers there. But it uh, looks like fun. It's designed by Michael Faulkner, and six and a half turn. And it's just your basic. The Americans got to wipe out the Japanese on board forty, and it uses boards thirty nine and forty. Wipe so, them all out. Yep. There can be no Japanese on board forty in between Hex Roselle and you. So, not a complicated victory condition. And moving right on to the other side, 165, a promise fulfilled. It's another Philippine PTO scenario, but it's the opposite end of the war. It's February 1945, and it's uh, it's the uh, the parachute regiment that landed on Corregidor at the end of the war to take that island. Oh, yeah. So that looks like fun. It's designed by Hugh Downing. Six are, are turns. You Corregidor with the paratroop drop. Yeah. And the Japanese were all dug in. Yeah, and it was just a basic mopping up. It was a pretty... Yeah. Actually, Jeff, when we first started this podcast, I had an article that I had read in in, uh, some magazine and thought, oh, well, this would be interesting to make into a scenario, and I was going to mention it on the air. And the more I read about it, the more I realized this would not be a good scenario at all because it was just... Maybe it was just a mopping up operation or something. And someone actually did that. Can I grab that from you? Corregidor 45. Wow. Both those scenarios look good. I'll have to. That, that's really, now, see, that one's got my attention. Yeah. I guess everybody has a different background and interest they bring to this. but It may be more interesting as a squad leader scenario than it was in, in real in, life. In, in real life. Yeah. I, I, know, just because it, it presented an interesting situation. but And like you had asked last time, Jeff, about, you know, yeah. when you lose, can that, when a side always just loses, can, can that make a good game? And, and the answer is yes, it can. Yeah by having to not lose too badly or by exiting at least one squad or something right. minimal to show victory. Yeah. I have uh, SP-167, Trigger Happy Joes. <laughs> no relation. Should I read that one? <laughs> um, it has some winter camouflage for the Germans, some anti 
personnel mines. Now it says AP mine. Is that restricted from being AT, I wonder, by special rule? I didn't read all that. No, yeah, I'm not sure. No, it doesn't. 20 factors, though, and a standard kind of German-American situation in Luxembourg in 1944. Uh, German assault engineers, the 548s are. That's always fun. Just get some assault engineers with that extra smoke capability. And the last one is SP-168, Mullenkamp's Miracle. And both these last two were designed by Pete Schelling. Um, the Pete Schelling? Yeah, the one, the one we like to interview. He's everywhere. He's everywhere. He's all over. Where does he find the time? He doesn't have a podcast, I guess. Yeah, that's it. Uh, falling Snow. I always kind of like that. Uh, grain is a mudflat at B16.7. Okay, quiz show. Who could tell me the rules for mudflat? I have no idea. Extra bog has, check or something? That's right next to the uh, the British rule about stopping for tea. <laughs> the mudflat? I'm thinking it's a frozen Where does this marsh? one take place? Where does this take place? Anyone want to look up B, 16.7? Uh, Russia. Koval, Russia, 1944. Okay. There were lots of swamps around there. And um, the... Streams are not frigid, though, so... B what? B16.7. Both sides have winter camo. Uh, Really? Okay, I was just trying to get my head around what falling snow. That's just visibility, right? Right, I think that's kind of like the rain. Just, you know, out to six hexes, it may be zero or maybe plus one, and then six to 12, I think, or every six, it seems to go up or down. Okay, Jeff flats. A mud flat is a marsh with a lower water level. All marsh rules apply except where modified below. And there's just two exceptions. So infantry and cavalry may enter a mud flat hex at no, sorry, at a cost of two movement factors. Oh, yeah. Unpossessed portage equipment in a mud flat is not lost. Okay, it sits. It, w- it would be, I guess, in a marsh. Yes, it would be. So it's. Uh, amphibious vehicles may not enter a mudflat in the water movement mode, but must use land movement capabilities and roll for bog instead. All right, man. I like it. I kind of like that. I might be interested in playing this one now, too. Has an 82 mortar for the Russians and some trenches. And they we should have some try Shermans. To, let's try to Shermans. play a couple of these uh, before the next episode. We can report back. And if these are fun or no good. Yeah, well, oh, then we'd be passing judgment. We don't like to do that. All right. (laughs) Why not? It's a review. It's our opinion. We get to have an opinion. (laughs) Yeah, but we have to plan first. So, yeah, what a lot to do. A lot to do here, boys and girls. All right, so that's 12 great scenarios from uh, Shortpunked. Yeah, if you guys don't mind, I'll take it home and I'll read the article, too. Okay. I mean, but I'm never going to have time to play all these. Yeah, but see, that's the thing. It's uh, yeah, we we all don't have time to play every single scenario. But what I do is like when Action Pack Five came out, I play two or three scenarios that are really um, talked about or, or look interesting to me, and that you know that's what I'm going to do here. I'm going to pick two or three scenarios. I don't think everyone plays every single scenario in each Action Pack or scenario. Batch. But remember, that's the Dave way. <laughs> we could though, you know, if uh, if we could, if the donations would increase. We could retire from our jobs if we could get enough donations coming in. And just and just play. Eight hours a day. A squad yeah. leader At all least. day long. Yeah. It's a retirement. Yeah. 
Roll the dice, Jeff. <laughs> I can't lift them, Dave. Uh, too heavy. Nurse, can you help Jeff roll? Uh, yeah, so I guess I should play those two or three I thought were interesting. But I, but I swear to you, I play everything in order. And I'm just methodical. I remember that. I have to break out of it, don't I? You got to try. But it's kind of fun to go, I've played all of those. Yeah. I've played all of those. Because I remember the first time I met you at your club was the I showed up and you're like, okay, we, we play the scenarios. Uh, scenario, or Starter Kit 1 just came out and we're at S1. And we're going to play through them all. And then everyone's going to switch sides and we're going to go backwards back to the, the Oh, front. yeah. And then we had a lot of rookies playing, though, too. Yeah, so we had I was thinking, wow, that's going to take like a year to, to, to get through those starter <laughs> kit scenarios. Because not all of them were good. There was, there was a few good ones, but... Yeah, and then we got a bunch of more experienced players. Now we're back to just anything goes. You never know what you're going to get. And, uh, well, the topic for today's show is mortars. A very good topic, too. By the way, I have a very short uh, history segment about mortars. Should I do, I'm, I'm going gonna... to do it right Yeah, I'm just going to do it right oh, now. Oh, sure. Short. You're just going to wing it, yeah. right? Yeah, I'm kind of going to kind of wing it. See, the, the first mortars were made of mud and clay. And because of the lack of stone and an abundance of clay, the Babylonian construction used baked brick and a slime or pitch for mortar. No, I think... Is he, is he talking about, like, mortar in a construction zone? Making like the pyramids? Bricks? Yeah, isn't that what you wanted? No, no, no. You told me to research mortars and come back with something concrete. I thought... <laughs> that is oh, no! Not, this is not it? No, it's the Squad Leader podcast. I spent five hours on this. Oh, I can no. tell you about what kind of oh. aggregate to use and how much water to put. This is not your no, show is ruined. I'm now. sorry, Jeff. Well, if that was the history segment, Joe, I know we were going to do Navratini Gungaswafa next next time, but can would you mind doing that tonight later on? Okay, the the show? Let, let me look through my notes here. And, you have uh, the Navratini notes. Yep. Yep. Okay, we'll promise you a better history segment at the end of the show. I got 15 pages of notes about cement. Uh, it's the wrong kind. I mean, you could I go back know. and talk about like Moses. Can and, I at least post you know, this? Where's on your website? God now, Moses? <laughs> you know, let my people go because they're making, weren't they making mortar? They were making the... more, yeah, with oh. no straw. All right, scratch that. You know, we can edit that part out. And you may, yeah, no, let's do that. May as well leave it in. Nobody's show your perfidity. Yeah. That's the wrong word. Stupidity. Show your profundity. <laughs> I ain't going to show you nothing. <laughs> well, you're not wearing pants. It's not like you're... <laughs> you guys are drinking too much whiskey, man. <laughs> All right. It's time for... I think... I guess we're going to play the quiz show intro music. That no one else could play He was the top man at his craft But then his number came up And he was gone with the draft He's in the army now A blowing reveille He's the boogie woogie bugle boy of company Hip hooray We're living in the USA Come you yanks all holler thanks Hip hip hooray Welcome back everybody And now it's time for another episode of Quiz Show! (laughs) 
And we're back. All right. And now I think we're just going to take this as um, basically quizzing. Dave will ask the questions while Jeff, the good looking one, and Joe, the intelligent one, will try and answer the questions. <laughs> Ready? Yeah. Ready. Here we go. Folks at home, you can reference rule 4.41, but you have to read fast to beat these two speedy gentlemen. Can a mortar that moved be fired in the advanced fire phase? Buzz in, please. No. Jeff? No is correct. One point for Jeff. So you can't be moving. Now, can you fire it just on the side? Your machine gun after you move it? Which ones? Light machine gun you can. Okay. Yeah. All right. How can a mortar that remains stationary fire in the advanced fire phase? If it's buzzing, re- we forgot the buzzer, ladies and gentlemen. We forgot the but Dave forgot the buzzer. <laughs> sorry, we have to do sorry. analog buzzers. It today. sounds good though. Yeah. Uh, if the mortar was unattended and then a squad or half squad moved into the location and manned it, just like a heavy machine gun, and recovered it, recovered it. Yes. Then they get to fire it. Please use the proper ASL technology, Joe. Yes, sir. <laughs> sir, yes, sir. <laughs> yeah, so another. strict around here. If they fire in the advanced fire phase, what are the normal penalties? If they fire in the advanced fire phase, what are the normal penalties? Yes, Joe. Well, it's already area fire, so it's going to be half, and then it's going to be halved again. No, it's not what I, it's not what? What my notes say. <laughs> I mean, put it this way. That's a tough one. When they fire, yeah, in the advanced fire phase, what pluses would they have? Case what? Da, 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 da. Oh, for moving. <laughs> Case yes. uh, J? Uh, B, which is? Oh, B. Plus. Fire in the plus advanced two. phase. Plus two for fire in the advanced yeah. phase. Or plus three in a building woods rubble. But they, how can mortar fire out of a... I don't know why I wrote that. <laughs> okay. Firing out of a I, building? What's... Sorry. I, my problem is I planned like a month ago. And sorry, I'll be more careful yeah, My history time. segment probably threw you off. It, it did. I, you totally messed up my thinking. And my thinking's the mojo is gone. Yeah. Challenging <laughs> enough. If they, next question. Yeah. If they fire... In the advanced fire phase, if it fires, in the advanced fire phase, can it, being the mortar, use a rate of fire? Buzz in. I would say no. You are correct, Jeff. <laughs> you're Joe. You're Jeff. All right. I had a Joe. 50-50 chance on that, but that didn't seem like it. That just seems logical, but yes. I'm glad there's a rule for that. Yeah. Next question. Can a mortar fire from a rooftop? Bzzzt. Joe? Yes. Yes. You are correct. But not from a building, right? Correct. Yeah. And I think or I a basement. A basement in a building. Correct. Yeah. From a doghouse? That's stretching it. Yeah, possibly. <laughs> you know, I don't know if you knew this, but at the beginning of the war, very early in the war, the Dutch... <laughs> yeah. The Dutch airplane company... Uh, the company that made the Fokker aircraft, the Fokker. Be careful when you say that. Yeah, well, they they were actually mounting mortars in planes in their in some of their planes. Are you serious? Yeah, 
They were. Is it serious, Joe? I never heard of that one. It didn't last, though, because those border folkers couldn't hit anything. (laughs) (sighs) (laughs) I'm tempted to use that one at school, but I don't think I should. That's true. All right. All right. What are the restrictions when it mortar fires from a rooftop to get it to the rooftop in the first place? Wow, this is a tough, tough, yeah. tough quiz. Yeah, yeah this tough, one's an open-ended kind of question, one. but it's to get it there, what do you have to do with the mortar? Well, you have to take it up the stairs. <laughs> with a rope on the side of the building? How do you take? How do you move things in Portage squad leaders? Portage it point. to the rooftop. What millimeter or less must it be to be able to be portaged, DM? I would say 60, 60 millimeter or less. Go 82. Oh, really? Do I hear yeah, an 82? 82. 82. 82 millimeters or less, you can DM it and portage it up to the rooftop. Do you understand the implications of this, right? The 82 is the big mortar. Yeah, yeah. the large counter. Right. So, anyway, the next question, I know, comes from section C, 10.13. Ready. What size mortar can be towed by a vehicle. <laughs> Joe. <laughs> Joe is grasping 80, straws. 82 millimeter or below. Um, or wait, or, no, not or below. Above. Just 82. From between? From 76 through? millimeter to 82. Yes, you are correct. Amazing. Yeah, you can tow them if... I've I, never heard of that, though. What, it, what scenario it's true. or what? C10.13. Yeah, now name a scenario that actually uh, you know, is you set actually, up that way. But you tow a mortar? You, you don't tow it. it. You don't, it is it, it doesn't wheeled? have wheels. It, <laughs> you just drag the barrel, like the Russians drag the barrel behind. <laughs> I mean, that's I, just really I didn't odd. even this think about This is like that. amateur hour. Because the, no. Germ- <laughs> the Germans had half tracks that had the mortar in the half track, and that I could see. But This says tow. towing a mortar. Huh? Yes. Now, there's a further question. The passenger PP portage points. <laughs> PP, don't you are so okay. immature. All right, yes, the I am. P- Charlie heard PP. Yeah, no, go outside, Charlie, yeah, to Charlie do that. No, no, PP. go outside to do that, Charlie. Hey, you made a little strap and harness for like an explosives for him. Oh, yeah. look at that! He's got the little antenna trigger thingy. Yeah, Robin knitted that. His little antenna. <laughs> she's so she's so crafty, my wife. <laughs> All right, so now that we know, according to rule C10.13, look it up if you don't believe me, that you can tow them, the passenger portage points is reduced by four portage points when towing the mortar or a gun. The question becomes, why? I would say because of the The ammunition. You are correct. The ammo goes in, reduces the portage points. Right. Now, do you believe me that that's a true rule? Yes. And we should look into about the wheeled thing. Yeah, well, I hadn't if really, someone I, did a history report on the right kind of mortars, <clears throat> we would know. We might have been finding that out. Well, if somebody had been a little more clear, <laughs> <laughs> next time, Dave, be a little more clear about what you're asking for. How was I to know? I mean, just because this is a it's, podcast about a World War II game. That's what I was thinking. Uh, yeah. B, 27.1. 
Uh, any, any uh, let's just go back for a second. So I that that part is interesting because yeah. I'd never taken that into account. It's not only the carrying the portaging of the mortar, but all the ammunition. Correct for a mortar because that vehicle. stuff has got to be heavy. Yep. So it's going to reduce your your yeah portage yeah. points. B twenty seven point one. Can a mortar fire from a foxhole? Bzzz. Yes. Jill. Yes is correct. Which other five-eighth-inch counters can fire from a foxhole? Trick question. Yeah. Ammo. I no. give up. A foxhole. What other five-eighth-inch five counters can fire from a foxhole? Bzzz. None. None. Trick question. Oh. Are you recording now? Yeah. Oh, sorry. It's all right. We can edit that out. Next question. Can a mortar enter a foxhole when not DM? Yes? No. You are correct. So all mortars can be DM'd? Yes. Right, Joe? The big ones and the little ones. Yes. Yes. That's something uh, I always assumed it was just the smaller, like the, the, the 60 and the 50 millimeter. And I never realized that the, the large counter, the 5 ace counter mortars, could also be disassembled. Right. And I don't know can why. you also push them? Sure. And I, I, that's what I'm trying Pushing to... Pushing a gun? Yeah. Manhandling. Is there a manhandling number at the upper right-hand side? I don't have them with me. I'm, I think so. Well, let's check. They're going to take a look here. Get the... We're checking. And while we're checking, Dave, maybe you could entertain us with some uh, you know, fill-in music. With the, Oh, I have some. State songs. Well, play the organ. You gotta just turn it on. So you can dismantle it. No, there's no manhandling count or no manhandling number on those. There's no manhandling. Probably because it would be right next to the towing number. Those are the little ones, Jeff. What's the what's the Yeah, go back to the guns in the back, maybe it's with the guns. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, sure enough. Manhandling number. Manhandling number? Manhandle your Manhandle. I bet you like the way that sounds, don't yeah, you, Jeff? I do. Manhandle your mortar. Okay. <laughs> so you can manhandle them or break them down and portage them um, in a dismantled state. Alrighty then. Can a mortar fire from a dense jungle? Bzzzt. Joe? No. You Except are? by SSR. Oh, have you encountered that? Yes. Oh, which scenario? Uh, it's a playtest scenario from Bounding Fire that I cannot discuss. Oh, you are under secrecy. Yes, I would have to kill you. It's correct. But yes, uh, normally you cannot, but if uh, by SSR, sometimes you can. Sure. Is that how that works? You have to kill Dave? I always thought I can tell you, but I have to kill myself then. Well, in some in, right, in Japanese society, perhaps yeah. in World War II, that All would right. be the case. Can a mortar fire from a graveyard? Bzz. What kind of question is this? It's the real one. <laughs> it's a silly question. It's from B twenty seven point one. It's a goofy question. Okay, of no. Course, why not? Oh, of course, a graveyard. Would. Jeff. Yes. Jeff stole the answer. Sure, because it's just a graveyard. Right. Unless it's a covered graveyard. Unless it's like a graveyard inside of uh, Westminster Abbey, for instance. Or a, a mausoleum. Yes. Inside the mausoleum. 
Yeah, but why not? You mean there's actually a rule for that that yeah. says it can fly really? from that's, a graveyard? Really? That's amazing. Yeah. It says, despite the rumor, right here, <laughs> despite the rumor that firing a mortar from a graveyard will wake the dead and create zombies. <laughs> that is not true. Yeah, but it must be dismantled to be portaged into or out of the graveyard, which isn't making a whole lot of sense to me. Yeah. Unless maybe the 82. But, I mean, how hard is it to get in the graveyard? Do the same rules apply for Craig? Yes. That's correct. For Marsh? Uh, yes. No. Oh. Those rules do not apply for Marsh. So you can't fire it from the marsh. It will sink. Oh, yeah. Okay. Makes sense. Unless it was a mu- maybe a mud flat. flat maybe. <laughs> yeah, mud flat maybe, yeah. <laughs> All right, rules no, section. No, no. All of the uh, marsh rules applied to mud flat. Oh, except for those except exceptions, for those which exceptions. did not state yeah. right. It's too muddy of a ground, yeah. probably. That's why they call it a mud flat. That's right. E5. What... Two ways that you can fire an illuminating round in a night game using what two methods? Joe. A leader. No, it's. And a mortar. Oh, I see what you're saying. Well, um, I mean, what two non human methods? Mortar is one, the other is. I don't know. OBA. OBA. Yeah. OBA can find... OBA can... Yeah. Fire huh. illuminating rounds. Learn something new every day. Have you ever played a night scenario, Joe? Yeah. When we played Valor of the Guards campaign game four, oh, we played yeah. the night and... But you, you never think of firing the elimination rounds with the OBA. No, you, no, you don't. It may, and it may, I don't know if it's special or not. I didn't note it, but, but I can tell you that I've played all the night games through all the scenarios, uh, I mean, the all of the games up through 11 before Armies of Oblivion and through all of the annuals and through all the critical hit games up through number 110 and through all the connect. So you know how I know that? Because I play them in order, ladies and gentlemen. Ha! And you've played a thousand plus scenarios. <laughs> so I don't remember all those night games, but if they were in there, I played them. So what do you guys think of night? The night scenarios? I, I like it. Do you? Yeah, but, you know, again, I like everything ASL. It's not that confusing. You get the, well, isn't this a conversation for the next show? Yes. Or a future yeah, show? Night? Do night? Yeah, I digress. Sorry. I, I ask, have you ever even, have you played Squad Leader at night? During the nighttime. Yes, at your house with candles and yeah, flashlights. Oh, when you lost that? power. The yeah. power went out. We were playing by flashlight. And cell phone light. Yeah. Were you there, Jeff, for that? No, I missed it that. It was night. great. We didn't miss a beat. Power went out. I'm like, all right, let's keep going. I ran up and got some flashlights. We candles, all cell phones. I remember somebody had a, a cell phone open. Yeah, and we were rolling dice and, yep. and making jokes about um, throwing illuminating rounds. Oh, look, I threw an illuminating round over here. Yeah, oh. yeah. It was a good time. Does a mortar, back to quiz show, does a mortar illuminating round need a usage die roll? Joe? I would say yes. You are correct. Does anyone know what that number is to roll on a dice to have an illuminating round for a mortar? 
I would say seven or under. I would say two or under. It's four. It's on one dice. Oh. <laughs> four or less. <laughs> it's on one dice. Okay. That's the way that uh, works. I got to read up less. on this. Yeah. E, well, I'm into the night stuff here, I think. E1.931 looks like night. Even though an illuminating round isn't hitting a target, you still roll to hit. You still roll to hit dice. Why would you when an huh. illuminating round just goes up in the air and goes off where you placed it? For But it's just like smoke. You're, it's area of fire, and yeah, you're so aiming for a hex, which why is would 40 you, meters. Why would you still roll that? Because you might get a dud or... Yes, sniper activation numbers, mm-hmm. malfunctions, yeah, and right. low ammo numbers. May you fire another ammo type in the same turn that you fire an illuminating round? Joe? No. You are correct. Why? Busy crew. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. That's kind of right. Yeah. I don't know. It uses all of your rate of fire to fire an illuminating round. Interesting. I wonder why. Because it takes some time to find it. Yeah, I don't know. That's not something. How many people have used illumination rounds with? With mortars. Well, mortars, yes. OBA is the one that really throws me. But still, yeah. We're used to firing them out of pistols and stuff, right? Right. Does it cause a gun flash? Yes. Yes, that's correct, Jeff. What terrain types? This is fun. More like a night rules question, but Jeff? That was a little late. Oh. What terrain types are not illuminated by an illuminating illuminating round? What type of terrain is not illuminated when you throw it up in the air and shoot up a big glowing... Choo-choo terrain? Uh, Is it a subterranean choo-choo terrain in a subway? If yes, then you are correct. Subterranean yes. positions. Joe? Psst. Dense jungle. A dense jungle is correct. There's two more. Could you repeat the question, please, yes. Dave? Yes, I can. The rules state I might only repeat it one more time. All right. What terrain types are not illuminated by an illuminating round? They'd have to be enclosed. So bzzz, buildings. What kind of a building hex? They like call it factories. Uh, no, they call it something that starts with an Basements. I. Basements. Interior. In, interior building hexes. Okay. Okay. And the last one, Gold Pacific. Bzzz. Jeff. Joe. Jeff. <laughs> Jeff. Joe. Jeff. Bunker. Oh, Joe. Oh, Pill no. Pie. Bunker yeah, would be. Access. Would be. It's a small thing in it within the hex. This is a terrain type that would not be illuminated. Bamboo. Bamboo is correct. Oh, good one. Excellent. Hmm. Rule A, 9.8. What about sewers? Subterranean. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. We already did it. We did that. You thought you were thinking of the subway, but it's the same concept. (laughs) You can DM a light mortar, right? Dismantle a light mortar, take it apart, carry it in pieces to carry it more swiftly. To clarify for you, starter kit listeners. Rule A, 9.8. Can a 76 to an 82 millimeter mortar be dismantled? Yes. Yes, we, we already talked about, about that. And por- portaged at what cost? Buzz in, please. Bzz, yes? Three portage points. No? More? Higher? Bzz, five. Yeah. Five is correct. Oh, sorry, I yelled at the microphone. I got so excited. Can a mortar start the game dismantled? 
Uh, who was first? I think Jeff did. Jeff? Yes. You are correct. This is a true-false question. True. <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say false. No. <laughs> it's you worth know, a shot. Do you yeah, know what I do at school for I that? Jeff. No. I penalize you if you're wrong. You're such a so teacher. So it stops kids. Yeah, it stops kids from just shouting out true or false really quickly. Wow. It makes them stop and think. Well, we're trying to review for a test, you know. Yeah, at school. So I want I like them to take it seriously, not just try and be winning in cheap ways. They should be listening to the questions. True or false? Please take a three-second pause after hearing the question. You can repair a malfunctioned, dismantled mortar. I think this is a trick question. No. Because who would have a a broken, dismantled mortar? You can. But I would say yes. It is true. Yeah. Isn't that wild? You can repair a malfunctioned, so broken, dismantled, taken apart, Mortar. So let's imagine this. So I fire my mortar. I roll 12s. It's broken. The enemy are storming my position. And that's about the time I dump said mortar. Yeah, just I move on. Just start moving away. Some of this stuff, it would take you eight okay. turns to get it up to the building. All right. Put it together. It's interesting. But at least it's in the rules. Yes, so if yes, your yes, opponent yes. says, so it's covered. what are my options? You yeah. can say, you can dismantle your mortar and take, move it, take it with you. and repair it while it's dismantled. So I guess you're just working on the, the tube part. You know, if someone yeah. did a history report, we'd know about the parts of the mortar. Um, you can take it apart, strap it to a dog, and aim it at a tank. I do have a few Japanese notes to share. That ends our quiz show. And the winner was? Uh, either Joe or my or me. Either Joe or Jeff. You listen to home, even. add it up there, and, and, and email it to us. Charlie's the winner. A Japanese notes. A light mortar. Do uh, you know what's unique about them? Let's just have a conversation here. What's unique you about the light You guys play mortar? a lot of PTO, right? Yeah. yeah. What's different about that Japanese light mortar? Well, yeah. well for one, the, the range. I think it's one of those that can go like right at one hex. Yes. Which is rare. I mean, it, it's kind of based off that whole the Japanese had what was called the, the knee the mortar. The knee mortar, yeah. Which is not a, the correct nomenclature because some of the GIs that captured them tried to put them on their knee and it proceeded to break their, their And femur. fire it from their knee. Yeah, but it was had like a little... Curved plate por- thing, yeah, right? Yeah, it was very portable. And, oh, and of course, it can fire uh, white phosphorus. Yeah, white phosphorus ranges one to five. And when you fire white phosphorus with the Japanese mortar, the rate of fire is one... It's always fired as a dispersed white phosphorus, and there's no air burst allowed with that. Uh, it can fire smoke, a Japanese mortar, a light mortar, uh, only at a range of 3 to 10 hexes. So it's a little bit different. I'm not sure why. And a Type 89A, firing a high explosives at less than or equal to 2 hexes, as Joe said, you could fire at one hex, but if it's one or two, the rate of fire is lowered to one, and there's also no air bursts. I guess because you're not firing it through the air down into the trees for air bursts, you know, the neg one you get yeah. in the woods. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. it's more straight in. Yeah. And a lower rate of fire, I'm not sure why. So, How about tactics? Some simple uh, tactics conversation before we go to J- Joe's uh, questions. How do you use your mortars? So I got these mortars. I'm a rookie. What what do I do? Well, I would say 
use it from long range if you possibly can. All right. That's it is. one of the advantages of the mortar is you've got long range on it. So you could try to position it so that you're without uh, outside of the firing range of the targets you want to hit. That would be one. All right. Yeah, I look for places with a, that I can't reach maybe with my infantry firepower. Right. Or mainly what I look at when I look at a scenario where I, where I see I have mortars, it's I want to put it in the most opportune spot where you're not going to have to move it because once you have to start moving the mortar dismantling it or lugging it around it's always showing up a day late for the battle wherever the battle so <laughs> yeah it is it's what are they five portage points four portage points i, I you know none of them are yeah. six i guess but and boy, it depends right on there. your your uh tem what your target is if it's a scenario in the pacific or where out in the country with woods and you got those negative one uh, airburst modifiers then mm -hmm. it, it's always good to have the mortar covering something. but And what's that airburst modifier mean for people who don't play like a lot? Branches and... and So the shells explode in the woods or jungle? Yeah, and then above that, you? that causes additional casualties as it comes what down. What does that represent? Uh, the shell explodes in the... Explodes in the air. And then the shrapnel spreads further? Right. Instead of hitting the ground or something? Or, right. Um, I think hitting tree branches, I think I read somewhere that it splinters... Well, it's splinter, yeah, yeah, it's causing more, which in the in, in turn become projectiles. I mean, it's just it's just extra debris and just extra casualties from from the trees and the jungle falling. Yeah. So the first thing I do is look for a whole row of trees to cover that my enemy might be coming through. Exactly. And 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 line up the mortar on it. Right. Do you use spotted? Well, what is spotted fire? You use a spotter. Spotted fire is when you have a, uh, you have to have a leader for spotted fire, is that right? No, it can be any unit. Oh, it can be. Okay, so a unit in, a, in an adjacent hex plus can act modifier. as a spotter, but it, there's a plus two modifier on the two hit then. And I think it lowered the rate of fire, didn't it? Or maybe not. Uh, no, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I don't believe, believe so. so. We forget, but it's just a plus as, two. As long as the spotter then has line of sight to the target, the mortar doesn't have to have line of sight. Right, so the benefit of this is your mortar cannot be seen by the enemy, right. the crew and the mortar itself. The spotter's up in a building, usually, right, a higher-level building, right. with a greater line of sight, can see more targets, and can then call that mortar behind his building up over to fire down into all these different uh, terrain hexes, enemy hexes, hopefully. Which is, which is always how I want to use the mortars, but that plus two is a killer. The I always want to do that because I can never seem to find, well, I don't mean never, but it's hard to find the correct placement for a mortar a lot of times. And so uh, I'll often use try to use the spotter. Yeah. Because otherwise the mortar's got to be sort of sitting out in the open. He can't right. be in a building. Right. I mean, you can look for better protection for that mortar behind yeah. the wall. Right. Right. Plus two, it can fire, as we just talked about in the quiz show. Otherwise, uh, yeah. But that plus two, I don't like either. Yeah. Using that mortar. I think it lowered the rate of fire, but we can check it in a minute. Yeah, I very rarely use the spotter. Only... Street fighting, some kind of city fighting, where it's real hard to get maybe a, the the mortar in the battle without being too exposed. Real close to enemy units. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Right. I believe in the uh, PTO in the use of towers. If you have a spotter in a tower, the mortar um, can be up to three hexes away, and still take advantage of the spotter. Doesn't need to be in the adjacent hex. Oh, with a tower. Yeah. Okay. 
You know, it'd be funny as if I was totally wrong about that. <laughs> you might be. <laughs> you get that from the Tara. Tara yeah, I don't remember from Tara. Yeah. That sounds familiar. I was yeah. going to say, it's real limited. You only find those rules, and I couldn't think of where it was. It's yeah. Tara. You're right. I played all those with Dave, but that's probably correct. Yeah. So, all right. Uh, more strategy? Anything else about using those mortars? Uh, look to their rate of fire. Uh, they leave residual. No, only when they uh, finish rate of fire, they leave residual. Mortars... Can fire smoke and keep rate of fire, can't they? I think so. Yeah. That was an oversight in the original rules, and they decided to keep it. So your mortar is a very good smoke lane weapon usually, as well as illuminating rounds. So if you're playing a night game, look for those things on the back of the counter. And another thing also, mortar, a lot of people don't utilize is when you're when you're going up against uh, open-topped AFVs, uh, they can be really deadly to those open-top AFVs. That is correct. Dropping in because the, the the shell can drop right down through the roofless vehicle, and it just cause havoc. And yeah, you know, I almost picked for my my favorite scenario for tonight was the martyrs, not martyrs, from one of the uh, starter kits, I believe. That if your German opponent sets up his two SP guns incorrectly within view of the mortars, the Russians can or the the Russians can just on turn one when they fire fire those mortars into the open top. SP. And yes, it's a very good it's a target good tactic, to try and, and take out. pretty much over. Otherwise, you can't really take out a tank very well with a mortar. It's a real low roll, maybe a snake eyes or a three or less to to get an equal to a KIA or Correct. something. And Correct. It's get, good against half tracks, trucks, and yeah. When you fire it, you go off this OBA chart. It's in the um, for for the advanced. Well, for the full ASL players, it's in the in the uh, charts, the fold-out chart with all the miniature charts on it, the QDRC or something, and it's, yeah. it lists for uh, armor factors less than or equal to four, you get a neg one. Neg one, right. And for open tops, you get the neg one. So d double check that chart too, and look to use your mortars that way. All right. right. Should we move to Joe's? Let's hear Joe's. Joe, okay, I got 84 questions on area target. 84 time. questions! Wow. wow. Just kidding. Okay, area target type, uh, C, 3.33. Uh, first one, we'll start off on the easy one. When are the two times area fire must be used? Uh, against a... Bzz, against a... Against a... Bzz? <laughs> concealed. <laughs> I only have half You're the answer. I only have half the answer anyway. Gets a concealed target. And versus an unknown that's concealed. Um, all right, help me, Jeff. Wow, I thought that was that's like the beginning. The easiest uh, mortars one. and smoke. When you're firing, oh, mortars are always yes. area target type. Of course. Oh, okay, and of course. when you're firing smoke with any other ordnance. And when you're firing at concealment counters, right? No, you can use direct fire, but you have to pay penalties. But you're paying ah, the concealed okay. plus two. Wow. Okay. Overthinking it. Yeah, Just put me a negative, whatever. Yeah. Number two, can you name the three times when you can't cannot select area target type? No, I can't. <laughs> That's correct. And I, I guess I should clarify. I one to Dave. He's correct. No, let's work on these together, Jeff. Area target type, you can always select. Um, you can select area target type or infantry target type uh -huh. when you're using HE. High explosive. But what are the three times that you cannot use area target type? When I'm firing HE? When I'm firing armor piercing? Armor piercing is one. Right? I can't, right, because it's just one solid shell 
going at a target. And I guess number two kind of ties in with AP, so that's kind of a hint. It's AP slash APCR, APCDS, APDSP, Elemental Q. <laughs> XYZ, Heat, AP Heat, High oh. Explosive NIT, Something else. Shells. This is really right. what I'm after right. with this question, the third Go one. Go ahead. What is the... The third type, you cannot... When you're using high explosive equivalency. There you go, bingo. Because it's the same thing as a solid shell hitting, right, high explosive equivalency. People, I think, a lot of times see HE equivalency, and they think that they can use area target type for that. Right, because it goes off a different uh, IFT table. Yeah. It's different. Right. What the the high explosive equivalency is is when you fire like a 20-millimeter shell at a target, and it can hit and go off an IFT table instead of off, um, well, instead of not doing anything. It's basically like giant machine gun bullets, right? Or how I look is it's like the old uh, the cannonball effect. You know, yeah. the cannonball, they're armor-piercing shells, but and normally they, can, they wouldn't do damage, but they're just right. bouncing around, taking off arms, legs, whatever. Of people. Yes. Yeah, they're like giant machine gun so bullets, So it's like a big cannonball, yeah. you know. Yeah, both through. of our examples are probably good ways to remember that. So. Okay, uh, number three, area target type... Uh, use consumes all of a gun's rate of fire, true or false? Yes. True. Right? That is correct, excluding what? Uh, mortars. No. Happy Mortars Day. It's true that it consumes all rate of fire, but excluding one form of fire. Uh, it's usually when you're desperate. <laughs> the fire you take. It's most of the time when I'm playing, I'm desperate. <laughs> It would be the intensifier. You are correct. Oh, okay. That's the exception. You're sweating, Dave. I am. I'm (laughs) just really tense trying to win this. Wait, we're working together. Yeah, we are. We're working together. Take away the There are no winners. There are no losers. Remember, folks, there are no stupid questions. (laughs) There are only stupid people asking questions. Okay, so now now I'm going to pull out what I thought was the hardest question. Okay. What are the five to hit cases that do not apply to area target type? All right, we know these, Jeff. I mean, you can do it by the, the letter on the chart. No, I can't do that. I have to name what it actually is. Uh, the cases that don't apply when you're firing with area fire, area you fire. do not count the terrain effect modifier. Right. Do you, did you list them as what well, they mean? Or? Yeah, that, that, that brings up another topic. The TEM, <laughs> yes, you, you, do, uh, you do not apply it except if... That, that TM provides what? Airburst. Correct, and right. it's inverted. No, it'll be hauled down. If it, if it provides oh. any TEM is not applied unless the TEM, like a wall, if a tank is behind or something's behind the wall, tank is behind the wall, then you do not use the TEM you, because then the TEM is on the to hit, not on the effects. Actually, the TEM is on the effect, Right, the right, because... Yeah, because it's normally hold down, which wouldn't apply to that. Is that what you're saying? Correct. So that's a way to get it back in the system. Okay. And that's kind of the, right. we're ahead of our. So, so basically, what are the other? What are the other five? Um, point blank range. We're still at five. <laughs> one, one out of five. Yeah, point. KSL point blank. Point blank. One. It's two. Jeff, good, come Dave. on. Good, good. You would not count. 
Bob. Hmm. Bob, we don't know. Go ahead and tell us. This is a boring show if we just sit here thinking. Correct. Case G, deliberate immobilization. Oh, yeah. You do not get that modifier. E, case E, own hex. Firing in your own hex. Okay. And case C4, motion fire. Motion? If you're in motion. Case C4, if the, if the fire is in motion. So basically on a half track, like I mentioned earlier. You don't have to count. You cannot use. You cannot use area. Yes. Okay. Though that to hit does not apply to the area target type. You do not use that. Because you're just whipping shots all over the place. Because you're yes. That's right? why the Fokers couldn't hit anything. <laughs> <laughs> and then last one, KC one bounding first fire. Bounding because again you're moving and you're just whipping just, shells around the yeah. place. Okay, I think that makes some sense. All right, these are tough. Continuing, Joe. yeah, this is air. Yeah, yeah. And now, like we mentioned, we kind of talked about this already. Question five: Does case Q apply to the tit hit to hit or the effects <laughs> dice roll? <laughs> okay, what's case Q anyway? T E M. Okay, does that apply to what? Does the case Q apply to the to hit or the effects dice roll? We, to we, the we, effects, we already, of course. Yeah, yeah to the effects, but okay. only if the TEM does not grant target hold. Hold down status. All right. There great. we go. Yes. All right, question six. I All, agree. <laughs> are you sure? <laughs> All units in a target hex can be hit by area target type but is it resolved on one dice roll or each location in the target hex? Oh, you know, I even... So you got, you got the three-story building. Yeah. Even if there's... You can get with the mortars, with area target type, you can hit units that are not in the line of sight. Correct. And and you can... And I, I so just is it a can't single dice roll this. or is it... Well, first of all, I can't believe, believe that. So I, so I have a big building with three levels. You have a squad on each level. I fire area fire in there and I get a hit. I hit all three levels. Is that how the rule goes? Yes. That, see, I haven't played that way for almost a thousand games. <laughs> um, Those you, games you are hit, now null and void. They should be. Well, how often do you get? Well, fairly often, but yeah. you know what I mean? I, I, I missed that for so many years, and, I, and I'm not used to remembering that when I play. And I, I so rarely do encounter a building with three levels. I mean, think about it, really. Well, even two levels. You know, it's yeah, people might go up a little. And then when you're using, and then I don't use area all the time anyway. Maybe I should use area fire to, to hit all of them. Even though it's well, got, the same rules apply for FFE with OBA when you got city fighting and you got OBA coming in. I guess I do use it got, for OBA. It's kind of the I same I do. rule. Yeah, okay. And it is mentioned I use it there. For, yeah, I use it for OBA. I forget to use it as a tactic when I'm fighting in the city that people are stacked up in a building on different levels. You can't hit both levels with a direct fire. Do an area fire. It reduces your chance of doing damage, but. You could okay. hit all the levels, yeah. so I'm going to say, therefore, it's going to be a separate die roll for each level. They're not going to give you all critical hits if you roll snakes. No, it's a single dice oh, roll. It wouldn't be. It, oh, because it's an effects roll, so it is a single die roll. Single so if dice I roll, roll really low on my effects, I hit all three levels with the area fire. And it includes units not in line of sight. Which could be behind the building. Correct. In some way. Provided the known target, which with the highest TEM 
dice roll is hit. Okay, so if I'm counting the roof on an OBA. One of your units that you can see has the toughest TEM. You hit that that's one. That's the plus three building anything. with the roof. The, well, the so plus even four. the roof gets a plus three. Well, no, he'd be in the open. It would have to be a unit in the building. You add one oh for each level above when you do OBA. OBA. So the yes. bottom guy would have a plus three, plus one for each level above. He's the hardest to hit. If you get a result on him, that applies to everybody. Yeah, that yeah, just yeah. seems too wild. But it's this. This is probably out of the whole area target type rule. That was the one I had to keep rereading and rereading to make sure I got it right for the show. And yeah, and that's probably why so I don't I play it a lot because I don't bother rereading it. And I don't encounter it. How many times? I mean, some street fighting, yeah, you'll you'll get the occasional units on two levels, but it's it's not something commonly. I I haven't encountered it for a while. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Good question. I'm going to remember that. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm going to remember that you asked that question. Are you? <laughs> I'm going to make you apply it. I won't remember the we, answer when we play next. Oh. Okay. Okay. Area fire can hit all the levels. Yeah, it's just a beautiful thing. And just try it more often. We'll find out it may not yeah. work much, but yeah, let's try it. Okay, and I guess one of the close to the end of the questions here is, how is area target type hits handled for vehicles, AFV and unarmored? When you hit them as targets, correct. It's half the firepower. But what chart? I guess what specifically? With area target type, say you hit an unarmored vehicle. On the IFT? Doesn't Close. It's getting warmer. But there's a, there's a specific column I'm looking for. Oh, the unarmored column? Which is? The star column. There you go. Okay. Star. Oh, right. Right. Sorry. Or the I IFT know. table for armored. For armored, yep. And then what do you need to get a, dis- a KIA? I kind of gave it away. E- Okay, to get a result. <laughs> yes. Uh, less than half to get a burning wreck. Actually, uh, the yeah, KIA is destroyed. A K slash number. It is malfunctioned or, or it's uh, immobilized or it's um, shocked if it's the hull or a. This thing. is a lot of. This is one where it gets. It's easy to not. I mean, it's not something you remember because you don't encounter it enough. But Often, then when you right. do, yeah. you see it. Basically what it is, KIA destroys the vehicle. A K slash number or one over is an automatic a shock, shock if a turret and immobilization if it's a it's hull. It's a hull hit, right. Yeah. That's what I just kind of said. Okay. And uh, also if it's less than half, it's still a burning wreck, right? And I was about to say that. Yes. Okay. Yes. Okay, so I have one last question. I think it's an easy one. Oh. When are units immune to being a potential target in a area target type hit. So going back to that, that the example of the building where it says, and this is part of that rule, it says all units in a, in a target hex can be hit, but there's varying levels of, like you said, if you're on the top floor versus the basement, but then there's some units that can be immune to uh, that area target type hit. Those in a cellar? No. Interior? Hex? Interior hex. No. In the subway. No. Wow. If they drink their invisibility potion. (laughs) (laughs) What is that? If they're too close. Too close to to what? what? (laughs) 
with within the <laughs> within the range, I guess. Oh yeah, if they're not in the normal range of the weapon. Correct. Also, okay, well, if they can... did not move, if it's during the movement phase, you know, first fire. Yeah. And the units they did not are not move. moving. Yes, oh, they would be okay. immune. That's another. That's the biggest one. Okay. I really yeah, that one we know. Yes, good. And not in line of sight. Yes, but I thought they were except mortars. Except mortars. Except mortars. Okay, so a mortar can hit anyone not in line of sight in the hex with its area of fire, but a tank cannot. Correct. Because it's just blasting a bunch of shots at the building, so they all have to be in the line of sight. Okay, I got it. Good. That's th- that's helpful. That was my last question. All right. Thank you, Joe. So that's an interesting one. And, uh, units that have not moved. So if, if units move into a hex... And you and fire fired defensive on, first fire. Defensive first fire with area target type. The units that did not move are not affected. Correct. That's, pretty, that's, that's pretty the most important rule. one out of the right. three. Yeah, yes. yeah. don't mess there, that up. Right. Yeah. yeah. There are never any cases where units that have not moved are affected by defensive fire. I think fire. that's Is correct. That right? Correct. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Do you think that was a wise decision in the rules? Collapsing building. Well, it's an interesting decision. Yeah. And you, you can argue that right to yeah. no end, I'm sure. But they're still there, and it's yeah, an, it's especially it's an area, so you'd think they might pick up a few extra guys if it was you direct. Would think so, right. I could see it, but yeah. that's the way it is. Yeah. Very good. Good quiz, guys. Well done. Thank you. Yeah, I learned something from your questions, Dave. Well, that was a great quiz show. I think uh, just for participating, we should each get a C4 corner cutter from Counterculture. What oh. do you say? Yeah, great. C4 Corner Cutter is one of our sponsors, one of our many sponsors, our many and valued sponsors. And now a word from our sponsor. The C4 Corner Cutter trims 20 to 30 counters per minute. And folks, let me tell you, if you're not cutting the corners on your squad leader counters, you should start. I mean, you may not think it's going to make a difference, but it's so beautiful to look down on the boards and see those perfectly cut counters. And you can only do that with the C4 Corner Cutter. Cuts every counter exactly the same. Cut twenty or thirty per minute. Wow, which is, which really works. And so you cut your counters, don't you? Oh yes, I'm definitely a counter cutter, and I like to look in my counter trays and see all of them clipped, if possible. That, don't have like those never ragged ending. ears on them. Yeah. yeah. Are you done cutting? No, that's never ending. I don't think. No, no sooner will I finish, and then they're going to come out with doom battalions. Or, well, that's true. They'll keep us busy. Which is a good thing. thing. It's a good thing. And it's not so overwhelming when you get those new squad leader scenarios to think, oh, I got to clip all those counters because with the C4, it goes really fast. So, hey, for 20 bucks, if you don't have one, buy one. You you can get one from Counterculture. There's a link on our website for crying out loud, people. Don't make me come over there and slap you. Go and get one right now. Order one now. And order two. Buy a t-shirt. And buy uh, yes. And while you're at it, <laughs> buy it buy a two half squads t-shirts. They're going fast. Limited edition. You gotta have one. They're very comfortable. Very comfortable. Or better better yet, first edition. Because you, you guys are gonna have other Oh, that is correct. We will the have next set editions. might be a different color, yeah. at least for the shirt itself. Maybe yeah. a different design. But yeah, these are beautiful. These are collector items. Yeah. Nicely nicely done. Now, let's go on to favorite scenarios. Gentlemen? Joe, what have you brought tonight? Well, I have something from Action Pack 5, AP 41. Uh, there's a lot of good scenarios in here, but I just settled on the, the one I most recently played called the Meat Grinder. Oh, yes. That was mentioned by Keith. Yeah, Keith said that was a good one. Yeah, and, and everyone's talking about Game Squad and how it's going to be the next one of the next classics. 
because it's supposed to be it's perfect for, for tournaments it's short and there's several ways you can go about it so I played it last week against against Bob Holmstrom and I played as the Russians and this is one of those scenarios where I wanted to play the Russians over the Germans because they, they got two KV-1s. So uh, if anyone knows about the, the KV-1 that came out early in the war, the Russians had them. Big and the gun Germans, on that, yeah, yeah, big gun. Well, and the armor is eight all around, eight in the front, side, so back. So for an early war, that's pretty good. It's outstanding because in this scenario, the Germans have, yeah, they have two Panzer short-barreled 75s that are... Uh, oh, excuse me. <laughs> That are uh, it's it's hard to kill these KV ones, and it's a fun scenario. There's a couple different ways to go about it. The Russians are trying to hold the building. All right. So it, it, and who it's won? A good scenario. Uh, Bob, Bob beat me. Bob beat you. Yes. Now, why do they call it meat grinder? Is it really nasty? Or did it take place by a like, um, like a Alpo uh, dog food production company? <laughs> I don't know why where where the name comes from because I don't uh. think it describes it in the uh, in the description here. But it's kind of fun because the the Russians get to go around and and actually the KVs do and aggressively go after the German tanks and it's fun. Hmm. And I have mine. It is called the organ grinder. It features a guy with a monkey on his shoulder. Yeah, and a tin and, cup. Yeah, and they can play all the national anthems yeah. of all the countries. <laughs> <laughs> AP46, also from Action Pack 5, and I also played Bob. And why did Bob call us up, Joe, to play? Because of the ASL Open. It's the, one of the largest tournaments for squad leader, in the, at least in the Illinois area. Chicago. Chicago. Oh, we, can't, we call it the Chicago. Yeah, right. and for, for us, that's pretty much the world. It is the world. It's the, the center is, of the universe. It's this, and, it's yeah, the it's the so, yeah, I also played Bob and to help him train for these. Uh, these Both these are going to be played at the tournament. AP46, Red Comrades. And it's about five and a half turns. Seems quick. We found uh, the evening to go with lots of things. The game went rather slowly. And the organ grinder began... <laughs> the monkey was jumping up and down, and finally he pulled out a pistol and he shot the monkey in the head. Brains flew all over the area, and that was the end of the game. All right, no, seriously, folks. <laughs> um, Red Comrades features... <laughs> I don't know even where that came from. Yeah. How did that happen? <laughs> Could you hear the music? I can hear Check. it, yes. <laughs> but seriously, folks, uh, the <laughs> Red Comrades has, look at this, two Soviet squads, two half squads, a crew with an anti-tank gun, two heroes, three leaders, rare for the Russians, a heavy, a light, an ATR, and a DC. 18 mine factors. So the, Okay, so those troops... Are the only thing you've got basically the equivalent to three and a half squads against seven Germans and five tanks. Who's going to win that? The German. But believe it or not, this is a Pete Schelling scenario. But believe it or not, the Soviets then lay out some anti tank mines, some roadblocks, some wire, and the OBA combination allowed me to actually beat Bob Holmstrom, a rare event. On our second game, in our first game, we pulled. I pulled two red cards to open the game up. 
Yeah, I heard about that. Yeah, so when you're when you're looking at holding them off with just the three and a half squads or three squads and the AT gun and the you know it's not a lot and the, even the mines because you know how that can go the wire. So we went okay. Let's just say we won't play with that second red cross. We gave him credit for that first win. Continued and, and played it all the way to the end. The last close combat, my anti tank gun crew held. And Bob couldn't get what he needed to roll. I mean, a hero broke a squad running across the street adjacent to go around the wire. Uh, Bob played brilliantly using his, here's a tactic for you folks, tanks to go through my anti-personnel mines. I didn't put down any AT mines. I thought I might have enough with the AT gun and the ATR, which my anti-tank rifle missed a rear shot on a tank that went bypass around just oh. to get back to the end where he had to get to bust me to get into those buildings. And uh, he drove his tank through the anti-personnel minefield, right, of six and three consecutive hexes, guarding my left flank. And he Does was, that have no effect on the tank? Correct. I mean, okay. I think it's snake eyes to mobilize or something. Oh, okay. I, I reread it before the game. And it leaves a trail break, which mm-hmm. I had totally not known about or forgot about. And so all the squads come running through. Could, except his squads were in the wrong position to cross oh. that direction. Oh. They would have had to go north and then south through the trail break. So it ended up not helping, but he knew where they all were anyway um, and played a brilliant game and, again, lost it on the last roll of the close combat. My anti-tank gun crew held, and so and they had a lot of rate of fire earlier. And it was a really, really great game. Our only thought was maybe you'd want to let the um, Russians for sure get a black card on the first card draw. You know how they do that as a special rule a lot? Yeah, or automatic battery access. Um, yeah, on the first draw, because getting the two reds, it just seems so... And it did make a difference. It busted one of his squads that was going to go into close combat, that anti-tank gun crew, earlier. When it the anti-tank gun crew couldn't take out that squad, and then the OBA hit and broke him just as he was going to get ready to go in for close combat. So highly recommend AP-46. What are the balance uh, modifiers on that? Well, uh, good question. Add six minefield factors and one wire counter to the Russian. That would, that would that have helped you? That would help. I believe that totally would help because it's a tight little board and the, and the wire could push him perhaps out of uh, range to move in the end game. For the German, add a 467 squad to the add start. That could help, but again, once that squad breaks, yeah. it's not as effective, of yeah. course, or it doesn't matter if they have that balance. So, All right, that was the favorite scenario. Jeff, you don't have one? I won't have one today because it's been some weeks since I've played. So I'll be playing this week with Joe, and I'm sure that'll be my favorite scenario for okay. next show. Okay, I guess we should call this recently played scenario since we always yeah, pick one. Played. We've recently played. Next yeah. time I'll try and dig back through the Beyond Valor or whatever and come up with some. Yeah. Sure we can do that. Yes, and last but not least, and the, back by popular demand. And financial incentive from the one fin- listener. That's right. Box Art Review. We're Ta-da! Gonna... We should have music for Box Art we Review. We should. Hmm. i have to think about that. We're oh. going to look again at West of Alamein since we gave it a little short change review <laughs> last time. That was brief. Well, you know, it's a little upset, I admit. But we're looking at a tank. Notice the triangle here, again, with the composition, the triangular composition from the mm-hmm. head of the guy in the tank down to the left and to the right, ignoring the smoke on the right-hand side. Uh, it forms a beautiful compositional triangle as discussed previously we have the men showing the heat of the desert i had recently watched the cbs series with walter cronkite on world war ii and it did show them 
frying the eggs on the tanks in the desert. They dusted off a spot, plopped down some eggs. They fried right up there in the heat of the desert, and they ate them, the German soldiers, in that footage. Wow. The um, clothing, you got the 8th Army with the shorts and the dust. and Very nicely done, I think. What do you think, Joe? Do you like that one at all? Is that one of your favorites just because it's west of Alamein? No, my, my favorite's Gung Ho by, by far. Really? Yes. That's coming up yet. So maybe you'll be here when we do that one. Actually, I thought you discussed Gung Ho already. No, what, what module mm. was that? We're going in order, I think. Yeah. Uh, we might have went out of order. Maybe I forgot them and you had it at your house, Jeff. No, yeah. we did Partisan. We did uh, yeah. Beyond Valor. Anyway. You might be right. Yeah. Jeff, do you like that or do you still... I like you know, it a lot. You know. It's just because I want to play West of Alamein so very badly. Uh, but I don't have a copy. And I but have you, it. But you do, and you're holding you it have up it, Joe? and taunting me. Yes, I got it at uh, I got it used at Winter War a couple of years oh, ago. That's right. That's at right. A great opportunity. Yeah, it was kind of a beat up copy, but I got the boards, which is kind of what I wanted, and yeah. of course the overlays. Yeah. yeah. And we're going to look at today ASL Module Six: The Last Hurrah. Do you like it? This one doesn't uh, strike me as a very good composition, Joe. Um, Dave. May I call you Dave? And Joe. Yeah. And you may call me Dave. Thank you. Or Joe. And me neither. It's just kind of going across, isn't it? Yeah. Now watch this. I turn it on its side, and looking at the <laughs> side cutoff view of the original painting. That's better. Why? Because it just shows the guy on the horse with the sword and not him trying to slash a armored car. It's the composition, Joe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Look, it makes a triangle shape on um, the side of the box. See it? Yes, it does. From the apex of the apex. Yeah. Like a monkey grinder. That's right. <laughs> a monkey grinder. An ape. Yeah. <laughs> the horse grinder. It goes from the sword down to the back of the guy. Makes a nice little, uh, I think that's a better composition than when you look at the front of the artwork, which goes straight across. Rather dull. Even though the topic is exciting, the composition is not exciting. The color scheme's okay. Kind of bland. I don't know. And what about the detail on the guys in the back? Do you like that detail? Well, no. None of the box art was detailed. Well, but if you compare the detail there to the detail here more in the back... Is there a difference uh, between West of Alamein and The Last Hurrah? Does one look a little rushed in the final production value? Yeah, The Last Hurrah looks like it. Uh, yeah, it's, looks like he didn't get a chance to finish. So yeah, that's what I think. I think, the, I think you know, the horses become just blotches of light color and dark color. And um, what, are you laughing at this? Do you think no, funny? I just I think it's funny the guy with the sword attacking the tank, yeah. which I think actually happened. There is a scenario. Have you played all The Last Hurrahs, Joe? Uh, no. That's because you don't play in order. Correct. I played just the best out of each module. <laughs> if you played them all in order, you'd have played all these by now. And there is a scenario with some tanks and cab. I kind of forget how it goes. Uh, I, I guess from what I understand historically, the Poles, uh, you always watch this early documentaries and they say, you know, the Poles attacked the Germans with their, their cavalry, the finest cavalry in the world at the time. And not really true. Yeah, it's melodramatic. Yeah. It, occasionally it may have happened in desperation or they with some other tactical thing involved where they might have produced a victory. But, no, they didn't just charge their cab out against all the machine guns and, and the tanks. So pick your favorite scenario. I don't, I don't even remember any scenarios from Last Hurrah. What's, oh. what's your top of the, real quick? The cavalry charging across. Well, what's the name of that scenario? Polotowski Oiko. I don't remember. I'll bring one for next favorite scenario time. I'll show you. All right. You, you don't like them at all, Lestera? 
I, I'm not, it's not that I don't like it. I just don't, I don't remember, a, I can't picture a, a scenario out of there that I've played. Yeah, I, I remember charging on the horses because that was all new, right? The cavalry stuff. Yeah, the cavalry. Yeah. And, yeah. Yes. So that was very memorable and last hurrah. So, And there you go, box art review. I thought it was guys on bicycles. <laughs> yeah, you I did. I got that wrong. Yeah, you made me go out and look at my counters after listening to <laughs> Don't those look like bicycles? I have to admit a little bit. I can it's an see. aerial view with had tails on them. Uh, very skinny horses. I had to go look at them, though. All right. wonder how many other people did. Everybody, all of our listeners, all four of them. <laughs> well, uh, no time for history report from Joe? And I did my research. I think you should do it, Joe. I think so, too. What Go do you, ahead. What do you think, everybody? Yeah, okay. people in yes, the chat. Yes, yes, we want them to do it. People in the chat room and in our in our studio audience are all saying that you should do it. So, this country is at war with Germany. Join the forces to our own. All these shall be restored. But General Vagon calls the Battle of France. You know. Okay, my assignment was uh, Navertiti Gungswaffe, or otherwise known as Close Defense Weapon. And it, the thing is, it's really not a weapon, but it was uh, an accessory for the tank. And I guess to, to summarize real quick, uh, basically in the beginning of the war, the Germans had smoke dispensers or smoke pots on the outside of their turrets that they could uh, remotely fire. To, to fire smoke around and, and hide their tank. But the problem was uh, the Germans were finding that small arms fire were setting off the candles at the wrong time and sometimes incapacitating the crews or blocking their fire when they didn't want it to be blocked. And so the Germans came up with this new weapon that moved the, the smoke dispenser underneath the armor inside the turret of the vehicle. And it was actually a, uh, it turned out to be a, a tube that had, it was 92 millimeters wide so that it could fit those same existing smoke uh, uh, dispensers. But then on top of that, 
they added a breach. They could open it up from inside the turret and fire it when they wanted to. But if they, the added benefit, they kind of killed two birds with one stone when they, uh, they allowed the, when you open the port and if there was no smoke being fired, they could stick a flare pistol in that same open breach and fire either star shells, grenades, or um, colored smoke markers, elimination rounds, and... So they and just open this hatch and stick the gun in there and fire it away from inside the tank. So basically, so really it's, a hole it's primary going through yeah. the vehicle. Yeah, it was a yeah, it was a an angled. It was angled at thirty eight degrees and it, and it at the top of the turret, and it was the primary use was for smoke, but then after it fired the smoke or before they could pull the smoke cartridge out and then just stick the pistol through the the breach, the open breach, and it would lob a, a grenade out. And that's the rule effect that you see in the rule book where it says 16 Firepower against factors. attacking close combat infantry. Yeah. Correct. And, and after learning about this, I, I think, and there's been some discussion about this as far as I think the 16 is too much because the, if you think of a flare it's, pistol. It seems pretty powerful. But yeah. Well, that, 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 yeah, the 16 is powerful, and, and you're thinking, okay, that's half of a demolition charge. But then... The tank commander's firing one flare pistol, and I realize in the course of a turn it's two minutes long, and he could be firing several of these. But it's as only the, the close combat phase. Which is the last few seconds, I guess, of a two-minute turn. Oh, okay. Is what I guess. Okay. But still, when you look at the uh, on the websites, they show pictures, and you picture it, it's not your typical potato masher German hand grenade that's getting thrown out of the flare pistol. It's, it's kind of a short, heavy-duty flare that he's firing out. And yes, it was made to explode like two meters above the ground, but I'm thinking it's a small little shell. And, and sometimes I, I wonder, and I've seen some discussion where people say it should be like eight factors. At least like a mortar shell then, yeah. Yeah, because then, otherwise, okay, well, what's the stop saying? Each squad leader has one of these flare pistols with a hand grenade, and he can just shoot up and, and shoot eight t- or 16 firepower factors. That, yeah. That was just one of the things that kind of was interesting. When I, the more I learned about it, the more the mystery went away for this weapon. I used to think there were like multiple canisters outside the tank, and it was just a, yeah. a very large explosion, and that's why the crew had to be uh, buttoned, buttoned up to up. fire this. So, um, and then I guess I can go to basically um, the only tanks that had it. There's like five or six were the Tigers. They originally had it, the, the King Tiger, the Panther, the Jagda Panther, Jagda Tiger, Sturm Tiger, Stug Three, and then last, the uh, Panzer IV. Those are the only uh, vehicles that ever had this incorporated in it. And no other nationalities, just German. And no, no other nationalities, correct. And what, just to summarize, basically, it could fire smoke candles, and again, that was the primary weapon. It could fire an explosive round with a time fuse from two different types of flare pistols, uh, colored smoke cartridges for signaling, mm-hmm. and then standard signaling uh, munitions such as star clusters and elimination rounds. All right. Very interesting. Great history report. Uh, I did not know that. <laughs> you did not, <laughs> did you? And now you know everything that there is to know about... Uh, Nafer Tidy Gungaswafa. Say that again. Never TD Gungaswafa. Yeah. Very good. Because that first time when you mentioned it on one of the other I, shows, I thought you were saying it wrong. It sounded like an Egyptian pharaoh. But you know, I was I thought, pretty yeah. close, though. Yeah. But yeah. Wasn't I? Yes. 
Oh, and Very thanks good. to Jeff's wife, Robin, for translating that last or several shows ago for us. So comes in, She comes in very handy. All right. Well, anything else tonight, gentlemen? I'm I getting think tired. That's, I think that's it for uh, episode uh, 92. No, no, it's not quite 92 yet. <laughs> I wish. Someday. 16. Someday. We'll make episode it. 16. Right. We're already making plans for episode 17. Yes, we are. So uh, let's save all the goodies for that one. All right. This one's in the can. Let's call it done. All right. And thanks again for having me on this episode, guys. Always a pleasure, Joe. Give us a hug. Oh, oh man. that's a sweet. Man hug. Oh, <laughs> that's disgusting. All right. Thanks, Bye-bye, everybody. everybody. Yeah. Talk to you. See you next time. See you in three episodes, maybe. Oh, maybe two. <laughs> Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Do you want to hear more about the Fokker? Isn't it Fokker? Fokker.